The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from the letter to Timothy. This is a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that was written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege, Timothy. And uh, Timothy was part of the Apostle Paul's mission team for for quite some time during Paul's uh, ministries. We'll read together from 1 Timothy chapter 6, the verses 6 to 19. We read there the word of God. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So far, the word of God. We'll now read together from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 42, this this summary of Scripture. Over the last number of Sundays in the afternoon, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments, and we have now reached the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Lord's Day 42 speaks of the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. And you'll be able to find that on page 557 of your book of praise if you would like to follow along. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me. And 
work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. So far. Congregation loved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what were your thoughts when you read the words in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17? Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Do you consider yourself to be relatively wealthy, rich in this present age? Do you think the Apostle Paul is speaking to you today? I dare say many of you might not. To ask if you feel wealthy might seem like an odd question here, but it's an important one to think about as we come into this passage because it also frames how we take this passage in. There can be the temptation with those passages that we don't feel apply to us to be those passages that go by the wayside, that we set them aside in our minds. Women don't always tend to dwell on passages that are pointed directly at male leadership. Men don't often tend to dwell on passages that dwell more specifically on the role of woman. And likewise, if we see Bible passages aimed at wealthy people but don't consider ourselves to be wealthy, these passages can be tempting to put by the wayside. Now, there are, of course, two things that are wrong with such a mindset when it comes to this passage. The first is, of course, that all Scripture speaks to us, all of us, directly or indirectly. And that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in godliness, so that the people of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And so we should pay attention to all of Scripture. We will see also how these words apply to us later as well, even if we don't feel like we fall into the category that the apostle is speaking to. The second, as almost a side note, perhaps, is that many of us are richer than we think. As far as global wealth goes, one article from 2018 said, you don't even need six figures. A net worth of less than $100,000 US is to make you richer than 90% of people around the world. If you have just $4,210 to your name, you're still richer than half of the world's residents. End quote. So you who are middle-aged or closer to retirement, consider your house, your car, your other valuables. If between your mortgage and your car you've managed to pay off close to 100000 and you still have a few dollars in your savings or investments, you are still richer than close to 90% of the world's population. If you're a young person saving up for college, university, or a vehicle, you, and you have more than four grand to your name, you're still richer than half of the world's residents. Yes, many of us are really richer than we think, but... We don't just stop there. What the Apostle Paul speaks about when he talks about trusting in uncertain riches is a mindset above all. And this still applies to any of us who are looking for financial stability above everything else. And he reminds those who believe, you already have 
what is most important in life. You belong to Jesus Christ. For the rest, if we have food and clothing, we can be content with that. We will be content with that. So let's take a look at those comforting words together today as we are reminded in the shift in our mindset in Jesus. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. This allows us, first of all, to see wealth for what it is, and secondly, to see the riches that you have in Christ. The first thing that the Apostle wants to remind us as he calls us to see wealth for what it is, is to remind us where our riches come from. This is the foundation for his statement in verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is the key here. Godliness teaches us to see wealth for what it is. You can't take it with you, so you never truly own it or anything. That you are simply a steward of it for the few days that you have on earth. Godliness teaches us our place in life as stewards. Now, what's a steward, you boys and girls might be asking? A steward is someone who takes care of property for a person who's the actual owner of that property. While you're a steward, you're allowed to use the property as if it's your own while the owner is away. You can buy, you can sell, you can trade. You can think of the servants who are entrusted with wealth or property in a number of Jesus' different parables. The big thing is, though, that the person who is a steward will always have in the back of his mind that one day the master will come to reclaim what is his own. His wealth does not actually belong to him. He can't squander that wealth. He's to treat it carefully and properly. This is something that for us, as believers, goes right back to the beginning of time. Consider Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1, verses 28 to 30, after God created them, we read, then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. So, who's the actual owner of the world and all that's in it? God. What we have is what God has given. The one who has a godly mindset recognizes this. God has entrusted this to us. Recognizing and responding to that is where godliness comes in. 
And the Apostle Paul reaffirms this as he writes in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That's where godliness comes in. Someone who lives a godly life recognizes that God is the actual owner of everything and responds to that in an appropriate way. Loved ones, see wealth for what it is. It's God's and you're a steward of it. We're reminded not to be haughty if we have more wealth than others, not boasting or being proud as if we did it all ourselves, but acknowledging that what we do have was from God, who chose to entrust that wealth to you and to me. And being humbled and honored that out of mere grace, He's given you and me such a position of responsibility. We are not to put our trust in our wealth either. Making plans for today and tomorrow simply for the sake of building wealth without taking God himself into account and how God desires us to wisely deal with wealth. If you put all of your trust into your wealth and your goal is to score for yourself bigger and better things along the way, then you're letting what you've been entrusted, if this is your only goal above all, then you're letting what you've been entrusted to take care of take the driver's seat in your life. What you were to have dominion over now has dominion over you. You begin to hoard it and to use it for your, just for your own ends. Perhaps you begin to use as our catechism describes, wicked schemes and devices such as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising and more, taking every angle that we can to milk another 50 cents from our neighbor. This is the perspective that begins to shape us when wealth takes the driver's seat. Because we no longer are content with what God in his providence has chosen to give to us and chosen to give to our neighbor. We are no longer contented with what God has given us, as our passage says, but we also want what God has given to this neighbor and to that neighbor and desire to make it our own. What you were to have dominion over now begins to have dominion over you. But if you recognize that it's given to you and trusted to you by the living God, then even dead wealth can be a means to an end. If you are content with what you have and are not afraid to spend it in the way that God desires as well, in God's service, then godliness with contentment can bring great gain. You work for it, yes, and you enjoy it, yes. God has allowed this along the way. He has entrusted it to our care, and he has allowed us to use it in those ways as well. But you are also able to use it for the glory of God. 
and to be able to use something that God himself has entrusted to us to his glory is an exciting thought. Jesus himself encouraged this in Luke 16 when he said, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, which is to say money, that when you fail, you may rece- they may receive you into an everlasting home. There's a whole sermon that could go into that passage alone, but the picture that's given there is that money can be used as a means to an end, to fund hospitality, to fund ministries, to be a tool by which God brings in new brothers and sisters into the kingdom of God as we help and serve each other. Brothers and sisters who themselves will also receive us into an everlasting home, heaven. God teaches us that wealth can be a tool in the advancement of his kingdom and of the winning of souls. What greater goal could we have than that? Being excited about this goal means being able to regularly stop, to be content with what God has given us, and then to take stock of our lives if we're single and if we're married, perhaps having conversations with each other. Are we content with the way that things are going? What does glorifying God with what we've been entrusted with look like in our situation? In everybody's situation, it's different. How can we use what we have been given in service of the kingdom of God? When we see wealth for what it is, for something that has been entrusted to us, then we recognize our place in life. It is God who is the giver of that. And he calls us to remember why he gave it to us and to reflect on our priorities. Not amassing wealth and trying to take from our neighbors what has been given to them through fraud or through theft or otherwise. Not trying to amass, first and foremost, comfort and security for ourselves, but looking to see how we can use what we've been entrusted with in different ways for the glory of God. And we can marvel how God patiently teaches and reminds us that wealth is not an end in itself, but that it's a means to an end, His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. This brings us to our second point. See the riches that you have in Christ. In order to encourage us even more strongly to have our priorities aligned, the Apostle Paul directs our hearts and our lives to consider what true riches really are. Not the physical things. These are just here for a season As stewards, we are placed over them, and then they're passed on to another when we die. 1 Timothy 6 verse 7 acknowledges this. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. But we have riches in Christ, and those riches are riches that we take with us wherever we go. One of the first things that the Apostle Paul draws our attention to in verse, is found in verse 11. And that is, what you pursue will shape your character along the way. 
Your character will change as you pursue Christ and as you submit all that you have in the service of Christ. But you, O man of God, verse 11, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Here Paul is speaking with young Timothy directly. He's the man of God who's being addressed. And here the Apostle Paul lays out a common pattern that we see in more of his letters for Timothy to follow. The, the pattern of Jesus Christ as well. Don't just leave something behind, but pursue something greater. Don't just leave behind the chains of the pursuit of wealth. Christ has freed you from that and he's allowed you to see it for what it truly is. And now he's freed you for something greater. Pursue something greater. Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Above all, pursuing Christ. If you put wealth and financial stability and comfort as number one in life, then you will be enslaving yourself to that one which you serve. And the Apostle Paul warns about this. He says this will shape your character. This will shape who you are. He warns, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Money itself is an evil, and having lots of money is an evil. It is, as we saw, a gift of God, although some have misquoted this proverb. It's not money that is the root of evil, and it's not money that enslaves people. But it is the love of money that enslaves people. As you pursue the love of money, this will shape your character. This will shape who you are. It's the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Some who have put money, the apostle points out, as number one, have strayed from the faith. They've strayed from their morals. They've compromised on different things. Their families have suffered, their neighbors have suffered, and they can also run the risk of, if you look at the things that are pointed out in Lord's Day 42, also run the risk of running into trouble with the law. They've pierced themselves through with many sorrows as a consequence of the love of money. So Paul cautions Timothy about these pitfalls. This is where the love of money can lead. Those who desire to be rich, who have set their heart on it, this is their goal in life. Their desire is not to excel in their work to the glory of God. God can and quite often does reward that with wealth as people excel in their work and he allows their businesses to grow and he allows their wealth to grow accordingly. But not, though, not to excel in that, but those who desire to be rich, they have their hearts set on being rich itself as a goal in and of itself. Those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. 
This is a serious, serious thing to think about. Feeding the lust for money, he says, will eventually lead into feeding other lusts as well. And some have fallen away from the Lord because of it, resulting in destruction here and perdition. Destruction eternally, he says. It's a stark warning. But you, O man of God, don't let the pursuit of the love of wealth shape and form you. But the pursuit of Christ, hold Christ as your most precious treasure. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. The parallel that's laid out in this verse is clear. It's comparing the pursuit of those earthly riches to heavenly riches. Pursuit of earthly riches leads to those lapses in character. It leads to responsibilities falling by the wayside. It leads to unrighteousness, godlessness, faithlessness, a lack of love, a lack of patience, a lack of gentleness. Flee these things, O man of God, O woman of God, and pursue the riches of Christ. And as you pursue the riches of Christ, you'll find that what you pursue will shape who you are along the way. God will reward you by granting you what you pursue. Whoever seeks will find. In your daily work, loved ones, rejoice in the freedom that He has granted you, the freedom to pursue Christ by the power of His Spirit, to pursue Christ as number one. Rejoice in the freedom that He's given you to be able to set aside pursuing the almighty dollar as number one. In your daily work, pursue the riches of Christ, pursue the glory of Christ. And you will rejoice as He grants you righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Now notice these things are things that can only be given to the one who pursues God. A godly and righteous faith, love, patience, and gentleness comes to the one who has the Spirit of God within him or her. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God will richly reward the one who puts him above even the pursuit of wealth as they carry out their daily work. So that's the first thing that you'll notice as you pursue Christ and his riches above all, namely that what you pursue will shape you along the way. Christ's blessing is that in him, your pursuits shape who you are, and that is something that you will take with you in a way that you can't take wealth with you. In the second place, as you pursue Christ by the power of the Spirit, you'll be rewarded by an ever-growing confidence in the one who is the object of your desire. You'll be rewarded with an ever-growing confidence in Christ. We can see that in verse 12. This is the reward that God gives to those who flee the worship of wealth and other things and put their faith in Him. 
The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Verse 14, keep this commandment. Which commandment? To flee the worship of wealth and to hold to Jesus whom you confessed as you fight the good fight of the faith. Keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. As by the power of God, we are day by day more strongly empowered to keep this commandment, to flee the worship of wealth, and to worship God first and only, we will be rewarded with the greatest riches of all. We'll be given Christ himself at his appearing. The Christ whom we belong to, our highest joy and treasure. Verse 15, he who is, listen to the description that we have here for a moment. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. That Christ whom we confessed, when we confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses, that Christ will publicly lay claim to us. He is already ours and we belong to him body and soul as we confess in Lord's Day 1 of our Heidelberg Catechism, of course. Otherwise, we would have neither the interest nor the power to follow him. But that final day at his appearing, when we see the one who is of inestimable worth, that final day is like having a check in your hands versus the day that you go to deposit that check. You have the money the moment the check hits your hands, assuming you trust your giver. But the wealth truly becomes yours on the day that you are able to go in and deposit it with the rightful authority. It becomes yours in its fullness. His promise goes from being an unshakable promise a promise with power to being reality as it's ratified in our sight on judgment day, to being the thing that is promised itself as we are ushered into an eternal kingdom. The more we find our contentment in Christ, the more we will feel confident to let go of things of earth and live for Christ. So yes, going back to our opening thought, we are richer than we think. Not, however, just because we live in North America, but because, in the word of the Song of Songs, our beloved is ours and we are his and his banner over us is love. 
We are richer than we think because we don't just have a life that is being changed and conformed to Christ, but because we have Jesus Christ himself. And we have lying ahead of us a day in which we will walk into the fullness of our inheritance, the fullness of those riches that lie in store. Now, if all of that is true, in the first point, how we see wealth for what it is, what God chooses to entrust to us as we diligently carry out our daily task. And in the second point, that we already have riches beyond measure in Jesus Christ himself. What better reason could we possibly have then for contentment in this life? As we see the truth of this more and more unfolding in our lives, our contentment will grow. Lord's Day 9 to 10, in the providence of God, we are reminded there that we become children of God through Christ. The children of men are the ones running after money in this world of finances. But Christ redeems us and renews us. For us as Christians, all the things that money can buy are put back in their place. If Christ has redeemed us with blood, not silver and gold, then it genuinely is put back into its place for us. And we can pursue godliness with contentment. And so we are able truly and wholeheartedly to come to our catechism's conclusion without holding back or begrudging anything out of love for money. Rather, we are freed to use the things of this world to advance our brother and our neighbor in the name of Christ. As our catechism ends, I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. We are able to do that freely and wholeheartedly. We are able to do that as we saw before the offering that we, that, uh, we are able to recognize that God himself has freely and fully given us what we have and that we can give to our neighbor without reserve because we know what true gain is. We rejoice in our God's patience as he teaches us and as he directs us. We rejoice in his generosity as he gives us his son and gives us to his son. And so we use our wealth as best as we can to advance his cause, working faithfully, Let us give glory to God for what we have, loved ones. And let us give then in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.